if nothing else comes out of this incident, it was you showing up on this podcast, being vulnerable, having humility, expressing emotion as a man, as a police officer, and showing the world that it's okay to be going through shit like this. Hey guys, check out the 2023 Street Cop Conference, April 23rd through the 28th, Gaylord Convention Center. It's going to be the event of the year. Keynote speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed Bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, Navy SEAL Jason Redmond, Fox News host Tommy Laren, Marine Corps Special Forces and Leadership Coach Cody Alford, Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff David Clark, and Sheriff Mark Lamb. It's going to be one hell of an event. And on top of that, we have all of our instructors and additional instructors from other companies going to be at the event, giving you everything they know for you to have a successful career and get the results you want to get in the field as a police officer. On top of attending the event, you'll get face-to-face time with every instructor attending the event, and all the keynote speakers will spend time with you. we got special events all week, giveaways, nightlife. It's going to be really, really worth your time, energy, and effort. I promise you, you will not regret it for a second. To register for the conference, check out streetcop.com, click conference, and everything you need will be there on the homepage. If you are looking for a room, just click book a room. The block has been sold out at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center. But there are many hotels nearby within a walking distance of the event. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We will see you there. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and I have with me today one of our Street Cop Survivor Club members. It's a shitty club in the sense that the price of admission is not great to get in. But it's a wonderful organization that has really blossomed and I'm really proud of all the men and women that are in there where they're finding themselves amongst peers that they can relate to and people who are enduring similar struggles that they are. So without further ado, this is Stephen Cantara here to tell us his story about what happened. All right. Steve, uh, yeah, appreciate you being here, man. How did you find out about us? Uh, I like, um, I'm a big training guy. I mean, that's in, in all my years and like, you know, I'm average at best. You know what I mean? I just outwork you. And that's part of knowing the work is to train. So even when I was a corrections officer in New Jersey, you know, we're on, by statute, we were law enforcement. So I got into all, like I did basic SWAT and I did this and that. And I was always like reading case law inside the jail and knew all the policies of the jail and was you know, making grabs and stuff like that, drugs and weapons. So, and then, you know, struggling to get on a job in New Jersey. We all know who that is with the awesome civil service system. Uh, that's why I'm in North Carolina at Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. And, so uh, I actually started in corrections here as well for the same reasons. Yeah. How many years yeah. did you do in the jail? I did eight. I started, um, well, my my public service started while well, I joined the Navy. And I ran out of high school, tried to be a SEAL, bronchial asthma. They're like, see you later, kid. I was like, damn, first fail. And uh, so then I banged around the neighborhood like an idiot for a couple of years until 93. And I became an EMT, started with Roselle Volunteer Ambulance Corps. And I wound up working for Jersey City EMS. And then in 2000, I got on at Union County Corrections uh, with the Somerset County Police Academy. So I was uh, how was that? Hold on. Let's talk about that for a second, because it's not very often that I can get somebody to come in here and help me explain to people what my third Academy was Somerset. Your first one was Somerset. Tell them about what Somerset was like to go to. It was amazing. I like, I, I ate up every second of it. A lot of people, you know, it sucks, but 
It was fun because I have. Wait, tell it. Wait, you said amazing and fun. Uh, yeah. I don't recall any of that. I'm going to have to uh, sit here and say that I found that it was on the <laughs> difficulty scale. What did they make it like there? Oh, it was like a 10 plus, and and I got off on it. They were remember they were on Court TV on that show, The Elite. Yeah, I was like, I was there, and there's you know blah blah blah, and this guy and that guy, and it was it was cool. It's like you know, it's what I what I wanted. Like when I joined the Navy, I wanted uh, you know officer and gentleman. I wanted you know the mad sergeant or whatever. You know what I mean? What was his name? Louis Costa Jr. Well, I got a senior chief that was. Uh, the Brown Water Navy in Vietnam, and he was the meanest son of a bitch ever. You know, like putting hands on people, like old school Navy stuff, like, you know, Iron Men, wooden ships. And I asked for it and I got it. And I got it in Somerset County. Uh, what I year did you go to Somerset? 2000, class 0200. Oh, so you went with a lot of my old coworkers from Middlesex County Corrections. Yeah. They were the class before me. So um, I don't want to put their names on here, but I know who your drill instructors were. They were my drill instructors. Uh-huh. Paul Matthews from Union County. I knew him. Yep. Yeah, he's a good man. One of my first, uh, one of my first mentors. So he actually went to. That's the guy that went to Bergen, right? He didn't even yep. leave and go to Bergen County. So he was actually in the academy with us in Bergen, not as a recruit, but as a laterally to do some academy training for Bergen standards. Yeah. So I went to my first academy in 01 in Bergen, and he was in our class. And oh, um, wow. small world. Yeah, they ran. It was a little. Listen, Bergen was a hard. You know, it, was, it had its moments but it was not Somerset. And uh, I remember him coming there and like not liking the way things were being run at Bergen because Somerset was so fucking insane. They were nuts there, weren't they? It was amazing. I forgot my water bottle one time. You know, recruit Cotero just left her handgun in the changing room at JCPenney's and that four-year-old shot himself in the face. So I had to carry around the big giant jug, you know, used for the water cooler, like quarter full all day, and I never forgot my water bottle again. I'll tell you that much. I still tuck my laces and my sneakers, like yeah. they made you do. Like I, I mean, I took every like I'm a, like I'm a sponge. Everything I just soaked it up, and I loved every second of it. I'm I glad got, that you loved it. I think you probably were the only person in the history of law enforcement in the state of New Jersey that loved Somerset County Police Academy. <laughs> I got the PTC Merit Award, and so it was, it was it was awesome. It was you know just it was great. Like I want like I. I still have this perception of law enforcement as Batman and Robin and, it, and, and, you know, 52 years old, 23 years in the business. I get my heart broken every time that, you know, we eat our own or something stupid happens. You know, I'm still, I'm a true believer. If you want to look so at you were it an old man when you started the Academy you're in your thirties, huh? Yeah. I was 20 or well, 29. Yeah. Cause it was just a pain in the ass to, you know, like I got a 97. Yeah. I'm first. Nope. You're like the 300th guy with a 97. I tried everything, like faking an address in Newark. <laughs> it didn't work. Um, you know, and then my wife's ex-boyfriend was IAB in some department, let's put it that way. And like, you know, he had some juice and uh, he was preventing me <laughs> from getting on. It was such mm-hmm. a pain. And then I got on in corrections and then I... I didn't want to, like, I started having kids, got an older daughter, and um, I didn't want to leave the state to, uh, you know, rip, rip the oldest one out of school. So once she graduated, and my other kids were they're a lot of years younger than her, then I just started applying everywhere. And I was at the New Jersey Gang Investigators Conference, and this guy, um, shit, uh, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to stumble on a lot of things because of this brain injury. You know what I mean? Like, 
I used to be a badass, and now I walk up the stairs like a toddler. And I, I, I forget things, and it's, I used to run, like, major case investigations, murders, and I, I can't remember. Like, I couldn't remember towel the other day, and I got so frustrated. It's What this guy did to me is, is uh, we'll get to that. But um, well, One thing so, I can tell you, you haven't, you haven't forgotten. See, people don't understand from New Jersey, right? So this is very hard to pick up on, but Steve has the quintessential Central Jersey accent. And this is only found in Union County, Woo! Somerset County, Middlesex, and Middlesex <laughs> County. That's the yep. only three places you can hear this accent. And I'm going to even say Middlesex County, but like North. Nah, I'd say all Middlesex County. And it's very unique. And you only know it if you're from here because the accent changes once you get beyond, you know, beyond Union into Newark and up. It gets very New Yorkish. <laughs> and below us, you know, below, below Monmouth County, it starts getting very Phillyish. But yeah. there's this weird fucking accent that he has. And if you want it, one of our instructors, Rob Ferrero, has got it very heavy. Awesome. So for me, it reminds me of like Carteret. I would hear that that accent in Carteret a lot, dude, because I grew up yeah. right next door to Carteret. <laughs> yeah, I don't hear it. Like, you don't hear it. But then I listen to my body camera, and I'm like, what am I, Tony Soprano? Like, what, what the yeah, fuck? There's certain work. And, dude, I'm saying people are like, oh, yeah, you guys all sound like you're from New Jersey. No, no, no. This is a very unique three county maybe four county accent that you have to be from here to know exactly what it is yep. um you know and i'll and I'll, I'll i'll try to find a word that you're gonna say that i'll that i'll be like see that's what i'm talking about right like my mother's name is marge so people call her marge right yeah. and that that that's part of that accent it's a weird thing like you know like you know more. i don't know dude it's just a weird like more they call her marge right yeah so it's weird so I was in the, the conference, and that's where I also met, like, one amazing human being, Tony Marino, Pac-Man. He, mm -hmm. he came. He's, like, a awesome. Wait, were you guys friend. in Woodbridge at that meeting? Was that the one in Woodbridge? Uh, yeah, and then I, uh, Hunter Glass was there, did gangs in, uh, gangs in the military. Did you guys do it at the Sheridan in Woodbridge? Yeah. Did you guys go out drinking that night? Uh, a couple nights. <laughs> did it, did it, did did you remember a night when the Woodbridge police brought everybody back in the patrol cars back to the hotel and gave them rides? Were you there that night? Uh, no, I went home. I was, yeah, you know, I was trying to stay under a point, you know, zero eight. <laughs> and I, yeah, I yeah. Was so, dude, that actually justifies a story of mine when I talked about what I did one night when I found that you guys were all there. I called headquarters and I was like, hey. You got like 40, 50 guys that need rides back down to uh, the Sheridan from Big Shots where they were hanging out at that time. And we brought like we had a lot of cars available. Dude, I think we brought like nine or 10 marked units over and we're giving <laughs> these guys rides. All everybody just got we just running loops up yep. and down Route One to drop them off the Sheridan for about an hour. So that's when I met. I gave that dude, that guy, Pac-Man, I gave him a ride. That's when I met him. He's he's amazing. And, he, and now we're like amazing friends. So it's more than just teacher student you know and like i've conferred with him on cases or on personal stuff he's walked me through like the last blue falcon i investigation i was in and it was just great guy so then hunter glass well while we're having cocktails he's like hey yankee why don't you check out the north carolina everybody and her mother's moving down here like florida 40 years ago and lo and behold man like listen i'm a dumpster fire i'm a drinking smoking cursing mess sometimes but I have my faith. I'm Catholic. And boom, I remember on police one, they used to have the featured jobs. And it was Statesville, North Carolina. And I'm like, let me check this place out. Now, 
it's it's we're you know it's Western Carolina. Uh, they had the crime that I wanted to have. I applied, and that was April and winter, winter chicken dinner. In August, I was hired, and they were laddering, lateraling me. But the state was like, yeah, he has all the qualifications. You know, we had powers of arrest, two years over two years of service, and um, accredited police academy. But we never did this with a, just a corrections officer title. Now it's that correctional police officer. So I had to go through the academy again. So they paid me to jog and I kind of was, you know, up to date with all the stuff. So they thought I was really smart, but I'm kind of dumb. Uh, but I knew, you know, I've been through it already. So I got a, I had like the highest state score and the highest class GPA. How was there. the academy there versus the Somerset? Oh, way they're very well. <clears throat> if you go to like the big three, right? There's Charlotte, Raleigh and Greensboro. They are, they got their shit together. It's tight. But like, you know, you go to, well, and it's like some colleges, that's where I went to, I went to a college program. So it was a little loose, you know, but the, the point got across and it was kind of fun there to kind of like, you know, it was fun. I don't know. I just, I just, I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. So it's, uh, so I got laid off from Union County and then I've been to I was actually going to ask you if you're part of those layoffs. Oh, 107, baby. That broke my heart. You know, because we had we, guys we took in uh, in Middlesex from you guys. We took have twenty percent of our staff was laid off union yeah. guys, and they all went back. Yeah, yeah, a lot of guys went back. I just at first I landed in Northern. I'm not going to talk much about that because that wasn't, but you know, whatever. And then I uh, then we I went over to East Jersey State Prison, and I finished out my eight years in ADSEG before it closed down. Shout out to Rob, love you, brother. I just saw him in Jer- Red Roof, right? The other day, yep. Yep. Great times there. A lot of stuff, you know, uh, like my, my, I lucked out and I had an old timer, uh, that was the investigator that had my background check. So like my Sergeant was like, can is a pain in the ass. And he's like, Oh, we get my pen out. What's going on with this idiot. And he's like, yeah, on Sundays, I'm trying to clip coupons and eat my sandwich. And he's searching cells and are trying to light them on fire. And, you know, he's finding shanks and drugs and shit. You know, I was I was a worker. And uh, that was cool. And then I had a great partner there, this guy, Ronnie Burkhart, Vietnam vet. Awesome. Like 6'4". Like they forced him out at 65. He was my partner in the 07 riots that was on three wing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he was like, let me tell you about that fucking kid, Kintari. He ain't born with the fear gene and starts giving like all these war stories. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, we don't, you know what I mean? We leave that there, bro, but it worked out. So I got, I got to Statesville and just because of, I really do equate it to, to train. I love training and I love that you started this. And like when I first started, started coming around, I'm like, yes. Cause like I said, I'm not anything special. And I'm counting when I lock guys up in jail. So I'm around, like, say, a thousand arrests and like a hundred uses of force. And I don't have one complaint from a citizen, an inmate, a perp, whatever. You know, it's all about dignity and respect and knowing that that constitutional law on what you, where you can go and you can't go. Like, I had this awesome experience. I went to this uh, class here called, um, um, uh, warrantless searches. And I, I'm doing a war story with this assistant attorney general on how I took a, I took the loss. I took an L on something. You know, I got the guy out of the car. We're going to walk the dog, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I get that. I go, hey, can I patch you down for weapons? And he lets me. And then his left pocket, 
it was like either two Mike and Ike candies or two fat hydros. And I said, what's this? He said, I don't know. They're hydros. And uh, then I said, can I get them? He said, no. So I took the L on it to err on the side of caution because, you know, I could say like that plain touch. Like, I know that's a bag of marijuana or that's a bag of powder. I, you know, I was, I was really inept when the pill game, you know, when all that shit was starting in like 09, 2010, stuff like that. And I, the dog walked. The dogs weren't trained yet on pills. See you later, bro. And he, he went on his way. So I told him this and the guy's like, wow. Like, he was like amazed that I, I, you know, I ate shit on it. And the guy got away. And he goes, change this. He goes, instead of asking for permission, for consent to pat or frisk, ask to search. They're going to miss that little word. And on camera, he's saying yes to a search. So you're in his pockets. So I got out, I got out of the class. We had some kind of bullshit domestic with a gun and blah, blah, blah. And a guy is clocking like my beat partner in another parking lot. Doesn't see me rolling up on him. I come out, it's a gun job. I get him at gunpoint. Blah, blah, blah. He keeps moving around everywhere. You know, he left up his shirt and everything for me. And I was, and I said, oh, let me try it. I said, hey, man, can I search you for weapons? And he said, yeah, sure, go ahead. He forgot about the quarter bag in his pocket. And so we couldn't make the domestic case or, and couldn't find the gun. So I locked him up for the weed and cured the headache by cutting off the head. Mm -hmm. So it's awesome. I just, like, I, 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 <laughs> I miss this job so much the past two years. I can't, I can't stand it, man. I, I love being out there. Like whenever, like, you know, you get a roll call and it's like bullshit. And it's like, this policy's stupid. Oh my God. I'm hearing about some other guy's mistake that they're all breaking their bosses, breaking our balls about. But every time I was like, Hey, let's get out there and jam up some fool and get a gun off the street. So I, I loved it. I, I love I miss my partners, Morris, Bramo, everybody. Knights, third shift, North Tryon division. My old partners from Statesville Police, Stephanie and Rocco. Rocco's an NYPD. Stephanie is a cop in Annapolis. Like, we crushed it. And it was always, and I did the same thing in corrections. Like, right out the gate, let's make them know that we're here and you're not fucking around tonight. So, we, you know, stop a ton of cars, get, blah, 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 get it done. And now you, now you can kind of coast a little bit. And, you know, you get that, and I used to, I love uh, in Statesville, they have a great ordinance. They don't have it in Charlotte, so it kind of fucked me up a little bit. You have to walk on the sidewalks where they're provided or to the left of the travel lane. Well, the, the uh, city ordinance is a misdemeanor. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner, baby. I got you walking down the street in the middle of it. I, you know, you're detained now for a misdemeanor. And I, I got a lot of cool grabs off that. And the bosses recognized that in Statesville. And I was immediate, like September, I was in... Um, our street crimes unit. Cool. And it was amazing because the narcs were working their butts off and we did 86 search warrants in the first year. Wow. And that was like, I mean, I broke my, pop my cherry. And then like the one guy, Steve was like, here's the Ram, bro. I'm not doing it anymore. It's yours. I was like, Oh, you know, it was just, it was amazing. And stopping scumbags and Oh, it's so fulfilling. And I hate that I'm, I can't do it. And I'm, I'm fighting talk about what happened. Let's talk about what happened. Okay. So then I did 10 years at Statesville. I wound up becoming a, uh, uh, a criminal investigator and I did narcotics for a year. And uh, after I had, you know, I made my bones, I uh, was able to do um, like really focus on violent crime and gangs. So that was fun. And then I was 
that was like the night shift detective. They were playing with that. And so I was making part one crimes from the street. It was awesome. So then I get to a point like, you know, I'm not going to bash Statesville police, but it is big city crime, small town politics. You know how it goes, 80 man department. We got right on the um, 40 and 77, right at the Cloverleaf. So you're getting all that, like our, the sheriff's office here for Idaho County, man, they're kicking ass out there. Like they just got a kilo, a kilo, a little over a kilo and a half off two guys just like two days ago. They're, they're out, their interdiction team is, is kicking butt. It's really awesome. Whatever happened, like I was, I was with the money and just like certain little like things were just starting. It was just piling up too much because I was hearing a lot of like the, like I'd solve a murder and, or with help of a team, like, you know, I'm not Batman running around. And it was like, you know, fuck you, Yankee, know your place. You know, like my one, besides the murder, one of my biggest cases, it was this, they were called the Hot Boys. And they were breaking into everything. They were like a hybrid gang, like the JV version before they branched off into like Bloods or Crips or something like that. And every two hours, a patrol officer was taking a B&E larceny report every fucking day. So one investigator had it, shit wasn't happening. I'm like, hey, let me... Let me get it. And I was like, first, you can't solve cases from the desk, right? So first thing, I jumped in with these street crime guys. We found all these jerk-offs walking around together. I jumped out with their leader. And I was like, bro, too much. I go to neighborhoods of talking. Like, the neighborhoods was giving him up. Because he's, he's not robbing J-Lo's house at the point in Mooresville. He's ripping off a dude that's busting his ass, living in this fucked-up house that the landlord won't fix, and stealing his TV. So he comes home from a shitty day at work, wants to drink a beer and watch television, and it's gone, and these dudes are selling it at the liquor house next door. Well, that was 100 and, 109 charges on eight defendants. You know what I mean? Like, that should be like my, my friends, like, up north were like, that's a career-making case. Like, my friend Brian, uh, I think you know him, Brian Brennan, he retired from Roselle Police as a captain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my first childhood friend. We, I mean, I, I love him too. Like he's, I, I wish I could have rolled through a door with him and I had to come down here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love that guy. He's, he's godfather to my, to my first child, my, my one child. You know what I mean? And uh, like, he was always like, damn, Steve, like you're killing it. And should be a career making case, right? Well, it wasn't, it was fuck you Yankee, know your place, you know, stop saying I, and it was dumb. So whatever. So for, I finally moved in, I bought, we bought this house. And uh, I was within the miles of CMPD and I was 47 years old, brother. And I was like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not, listen, I'm not the prettiest girl at the prom, but I work out. You know what I mean? And uh, I passed the PT test to get in there, all the background stuff, had to go through all that again. And then we had a four week like um, academy for the laterals. And I wound up and I, I got the division I wanted, North Tryon Division. It's amazing. Like they, they nicknamed it The Rock. You know, D3 was nothing. I, I love CMPD so much, man. I tattooed their logo on my chest. And around it, it says the part of the sentence from the Bush's 9-11 speech says freedom will be defended. You know, like I'm, I'm down. Like you know, I'm CMPD. And that was the best move I ever made. Besides like career-wise and uh, opportunity and really cool shit. Like the first time the helicopter was over me. And I'm out, punched out, and I'm looking for the guy, and he's like, to your left. And I'm like, oh, my God, there he is. And I was like, yay. Like, I'm like a kid, dude. I love this. Like, every day I, I love stopping 
bad guys. And I'll tell you why that in a second. Um, and with my incident, what happened, they were, it's, this is what I fantasized about. You know, when it's 1033, officer down, needs help. They circled the wagons around me when I was in that mental state that I almost made a permanent mistake. So, I'm sorry. So the reason I, why I wanted to become a cop, I really wanted, it's my, my, like my mom's cousin's husband's brother, right? So he's not my uncle, but I call him Uncle Bill. Bill Perry from Port Authority Police Department, shot and killed in December of uh, 1980. And I, he, he was bigger than life to me. You know, I was a 10-year-old kid. And, oh, my shit, it's a cop. Like, wow, like Superman. And then he died. And, he, you know, and I, when I got older, I learned more about it. And, you know, the guy that shot. And I, so that's why when I became a cop, I didn't, I didn't give a shit about regulatory laws. You, your car, you were dirty. Your car was dirty. Your license sucks, but if you're not don't have any dope guns in a car or not wanted, have a nice day because I'm not going to criminalize you because you probably can't afford it in the first place. You know, writing tickets to poor people, black, white, brown, white, whatever, green. I, I, I didn't do that. And I caught a lot of shit from that, too, um, for not writing tickets. So I just got I, violence. That's why I became a cop. So I was still motivated by that today. Or like this moment, I'm dying to get out there. So um, that's that. And then let me take a sip of water. You got me all excited. It's like I'm on a first date, bro. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> well, just calm it down because uh, I am going to take my clothes off in a few minutes. You're, you're doing just fine. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> I, had a girl, I tell you some real funny story one time when I was a young single guy. I must have been kicking game to this girl. It was her and her friend. And uh, maybe like <laughs> after, I just remember this girl turning to me. She goes, you you can stop now. You're you're getting late. And I went, <laughs> what do you mean? She's like, you don't have to like throw any more game down. I'm going home with you. And I was yeah. like, oh, she's like, yeah, so just hang out. Let me finish with them. Then I'm going to, I'm going to, and I was like, all right, that was it. Like, she was just like, yeah, you, you won. That was it. So it was actually a funny thing. I remember this girl. She's like, yeah, you know, you, you're taking me home. Just, just, you don't have to talk anymore. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, cool. I'll just, I was going to sit here and sip my beer and let me know when you're ready to leave. <laughs> That's cool. Talk about that. Like I've been married 27 years and uh, my oldest, uh, I call her, she's my daughter, but she's my stepdaughter, but I would never introduce her as that because, you know, family is the most important thing to me. I have four kids and uh, my wife is, you know, we had her ups and downs and all that bullshit that happens in a marriage. And, uh, but she's always been there for me, been my rock, no matter what, like after 9-11, I lost a friend there, uh, Port Authority Police Officer David LaMagna. So I was responding there with um, Lyndon EMS and we had to fill up. The, the, you know, everybody doesn't fill up the goddamn gas tank, right? But, you, you know, you don't rat them out. You just fill up the tank. Well, this day, you know, the fucking big red handles pulled because this is some serious shit. And we had to stop on one and nine at the ne uh, Nexon station. And then so as we're going, I didn't know what happened, where Dave was or anything. But I watched the second tower collapse right before the Holland Tunnel, before getting into the Holland Tunnel. So then we find out later, I whatever I, I meet people who are at Liberty state park and all my other coworkers like we can't get in touch with Dave. And I didn't know how much this affected me because he was on the New Jersey side. He was safe. And he was like, no boss, I need to be over there. I'm a paramedic. And he did some amazing shit that I heard. And unfortunately he lost his life in a second collapse. So I feel like I should have been there. And this is my, all the shit that I've seen on a job, bro, you name it. 
right? I doesn't bother me. It's like duck feathers, you know, the most horrible shit to kids to whatever. I had good coping mechanisms, good wife, and I can joke and be an asshole about anything. The only thing that's bothered me is the loss of David and the loss of the girl in my incident because I felt like I should have been able to protect them. So I, like, you know, I got this big protector thing going on and I should have died. I feel like to this second, I feel like I should have died with Dave. So he wouldn't have died alone. And I mourn him like every day. It's, you know, so then it kind of motivates me more. Like, you know, my uncle died alone, Dave died alone. And now I was pathological with backing up other cops, cops in the jail or cops on the street. You know what I mean? Like you didn't even have to ask for me to go because I'm going, you know what I mean? And I'm just clicking on a radio, like I'm in or out, you know, boom. And I'm, I want to be there for you. So I was one, one 21, uh, 12 30 in the morning. And I don't know why I think it's again, I'll, I'll put God in the mix of this because I never volunteered for traffic posts. You know, I heard shit that I didn't like doing rec reports. I didn't, you know, and I had two amazing supervisors at, um, Lord Tryon, this guy, Willis and um, Eisenhower. She did seven years in homicide and he was a, a division detective for Central Division. He's a lateral too. And like the, the boss prior to them was giving me a rash of shit because he's like, you know, you're stopping two cars. I'm like, I'm all getting dope and gone out of it. Like, how much more do you want me to fucking do? And it takes forever to process everything in this big city. My whole queue is dope and guns besides like, you know, reports that you have to take domestics or B&Es or something. You know, and I'm working with my buddy, Martis, who saved my life on the last time I got shot at. Shout out to you, brother. You're fucking awesome. Um, so they realized they were amazing. Right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I love the fact of this job that, you know, we take care of each other. They knew I'm for, well, 47, 48 at the time. I don't need to be well-rounded. You know what I mean? Like, I already did that shit. I want to finish. I don't want to be a boss. I'm not looking to you know, whatever, to do any of the shit. I didn't take any training to try to advance my career. I took training to advance my street knowledge, to be more effective on a street, you know, like, like everything from like tactics. Like I used to clear my house. I have like a center fed room area and a corner fed room area. And once a week, bro, no shit, live religiously. My first day off, half an hour dedicated to that. So I think that's why I didn't really get into like, a sh I'm glad I never shot anybody, but I always beat them to the punch, be it like, you know, physical force or deadly force. You know, I was, I was always on top and I'm always reading something and always being aware and it's, like work was my good stress. So I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent. So they recognized in me that what I want, they listened to me as a boss. That's the big thing. Anybody out there that's trying to be a supervisor, you need to open these up. And listen to what you'll know, find out what this guy likes traffic. All right, brother, give me two ticket books, a tour. This guy likes dope. All right. This guy just don't give a fuck. All right. You write all the stupid reports and shake doors and shine buildings. Go over there and shut your face. So they were like, okay, Steve, if you're available, you're taking every like shooting into occupied dwelling, shooting, murder, and you're writing it up. And I was in my heyday. Like I was, you know, like, like when I was an investigator, I was doing diagrams for him and I would take out, you know, use my iPhone and get the compass out and be like, you know, shots came from the Northeast corner to the blah, blah, blah. And really breaking it down, really getting specific with it. And I loved it. And they, they were just stoking me. And I was on my way to getting to, uh, um, to homicide. They were amazing. And, but, uh, so 
I volunteered for this traffic fucking thing. And um, he was in an Impala. So like, I think about it more. It's like, you know, I, I joke around. I'm like, ah, Steve Rogers has got to be my real dad because nobody would have survived this. So I, I volunteer for this traffic post. We're on I-85 and whatever. So my, my girl Miller, she takes the other parties up to the gas station on Sugar Creek. And the guy I'm relieving, he's taken like the one of the victims, the guy that didn't get hurt, to the hospital to be with. So this is a crash. You're talking about this is a crash report. Yeah, yeah. It's a wreck, wreck on I-85. So I got all my lights and bullshit on. You know what I mean? And like I'm waiting, you know, like what's the update with the tow? And I did the tow sheet, did all that shit. Smoked a cigarette, and then I was like, oh, let me get back inside. And I'm a nerd, so I like comic books and Game of Thrones and stuff like that. And uh, I was watching Game of Thrones again, so I grabbed my phone to um, watch it and wait for the for the, uh, the tow truck. And boom, now I'm reclined. And dust is all around me, and I'm like, all right, dummy, car's not on fire. It's the airbag. I look, and airbag's off, so I start checking my body for like angulated fractures, prior prism, active bleeding. I start getting into self-care mode. And then my leg is stuck between the computer's gone. I don't know where it is. My leg is stuck between the mount and the steering wheel. And now I start to panic. I'm like, I, I got to be able to get the fuck out of this car. So I kind of like Hulk smash and work my leg out. I go to call for help and uh, I can't find the mic. I, I look for my, I grab my chest because I would keep it right here. And that's why the last time I got into a fight, like I, I my chin lasted longer than Chuck Liddell's because the last fight, the guy cracked me right in the face, but I had my chin tucked and it stayed. Go Steve. So I always have everything you know, right here. So whenever I dealt with somebody, I always tuck my chin. Here's my heavy bag too, by the way. So I box a little bit and I did martial law, blah, blah, blah. So I go, it's not there. My camera's not there. So I reach around, I pull it up. I didn't, I didn't turn my radio off when I got in a car. So for some reason, it with the impact kicked it to air ops. So the dispatchers listening to all the all you know all the channels, and I come up on the channel and I'm like, I didn't want to call a 1033 because that's in Charlotte is amazing. They pull a big red handle, and you're getting every available cop from every available division. You know, what I mean, they're coming hard, and um, just gave me chills. Thinking of that, that, I'm not with that because of this fucking drunk driver. So let me finish. So I was like, don't like, do like 1018 traffic. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I need help. Come on. So I said something to the fact of 71211. I've been in a, a 1050, a motor vehicle crash. I, I need help. And she's like, says some bark something at me. And I was like, I'm hurt. And um, that's it. I was out. And then the next thing I know, I'm in the ambulance and are cutting my clothes off. So then what it was, the dispatcher was new and she got pissed off. She's like, 71211 is on air ops. And he's talking about blah, 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 like this in the morning because it was super busy because it's New Year's morning. Miller gets on, everybody goes to air ops and Miller tells me, she's like, hey, Steve, uh, you okay? And I said, said, I sound like the village idiot. I don't remember any of this. So that's, that's why this brain injury of mine is like, I'm right below like having to be in a wheelchair. So I had like, I guessed about four impacts on my head while I was unconscious that secondary impact syndrome. So I had extended consciousness and extended blackouts. So everybody got first guys that got there, Dave and uh, 
the chaplain was riding with my buddy Dave and um, they get there first. So now it's the 1033 is called. Everybody's the fucking world's coming to me. Right. I don't have no I don't even know what planet I'm on. And um, like they thought I, 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 I think I sent you guys a picture of my car. I got hit at 81 miles an hour. There's no reason why I'm alive. And, you know, fun and fundamentals, kids, turn your wheels, right? So I didn't hit the back of the car flush and would have rode, I didn't have my seatbelt on. The airbag, I mean, I've seen this crash like five to 10 times and since becoming an EMT in 93, so 30 years. I, I would have rode the airbag up, probably broke my neck. I've seen that. And if I have my seatbelt on, when he kicked me, now he kicked me sideways for a lateral impact into the back of the wreck car. If I had my seatbelt on, I would have, I would have pinned my shoulders and broke my neck that way. Uh, instead, my calves, my big legs kept me in, and I kind of bounced around the car. The car that I hit, there's intrusion on the passenger side that went 50 yards down I-85 in park. And he killed the girl in, in his car. She was fully restrained and she broke her neck. 21 years old kid, fucking dead because this guy was a 0.14 and he knew his brakes were bad and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever. They, they In the report, they yelled at him like, hey, the cop. And he, boom. He, he hit the brakes. The major crash told me at like 0.2 seconds before impact. So about a foot. Wow. And, uh, and then uh, in the report, any of you uh, traffic guys out there, I went the, the car read the, the the Explorer I was in. I read I went from I went from zero to thirty five miles an hour in less than a second and stopped. So that's like positive G's, negative G's. You know, like I, I should have been dead. I should be dead. I don't know why I'm alive or how I lived. So my the one kid uh, Schuler shows up and he's a medic in the army and he's like, you know, everybody that showed up they. When they told me, they're like, oh, shit, Steve's dead. And I'm, he said, my, my buddy, Tim Abramo, he comes up later. He saved my life with the darkness I got into. And he's helping me. I'm standing. I stand up and I get out of the car. And I'm giving a report to the paramedic. I lay on the stretcher and I'm making jokes and shit. I don't remember any of this. And uh, get to the hospital. And like one of my big things is, so when we had the riots in May 30th, that was a the craziest shit I ever, I was in a riot in Rawway prison and this was gnarly and I was a grenadier and I used a lot of, I, I display, I fired and threw everything on my vest twice. It was crazy. Uh, but then I, I got, I was so severely dehydrated. I went down and I, I don't remember this. I just boom head first. And, um, what it was, I started getting up like my, my radio wasn't encrypted. So they were like, all right, stand next to the major. He'll tell you what's going on. So when I started getting these weird chest pains, and I'm like, you got to be shitting me. This is how I'm going out. Like, I thought I was going to get shot or something in my, you know, all the risks I've been taking. I'm going to die from a heart attack on Trade Street. Give me a break, God. So I go to call for help, but it's like, ooh. And they're 25 yards in front of me, pushing the, pushing the rioters back. So I break the seal of my mask and shoot, boom, I fall down. This is a little side thing, what I'm saying. Uh, some Antifa jerk-off hits me with a rock. And the, there was a, a camera person and a reporter supposedly saved my ass from getting beaten or anything. And I got the fireman. So I wake up and I see these helmeted heads all around me with red bands. And I'm like, like what the fuck's this? They're cutting my new Under Armour shirt, my brand new uniform, dude. Right? <laughs> 
So in a calendar year, I had the route cleared for me twice. So I, I look up and I, we never practiced this in uh, CEU. Um, where what would we do with like an officer down? The bike guys did an interior perimeter and then all the other, the CEU guys did an exterior perimeter and drew the firearms out and just backed everybody off. So I hear officer down and I look up and I see a cop. So I go to stand up and they pulled me down <laughs> and they're like, they're protecting you. And I said, Oh fuck. It's me. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, dude. So, you know, all that time, you know, at the time I was at 20 years on a job, I get cops off the X. Well, now is my turn. So I being an EMT for so long, whenever like I'm sick or I engage, you know, so I'm a part, I'm taking like, it's like anything else. I'm, I'm becoming a part of my treatment. You know what I mean? So now I get into the trauma room. Everybody and their mother's there. They cut brother. I went to be an aspirin instructor in 2002. And I had still was wearing that nylon belt in the kit that I bought. They cut it. Almost a 20 year old belt. I was so pissed off. So they're checking me and, the, and I tell them what's going on. So they're like, it was kind of cool. They're like engaging with me like, all right, what am I doing now? Why am I doing this? And I'm, I start answering the questions. So everything's kind of cool. I get out. Now I'm like, I'm coming back in, uh, in two weeks. So I start trying to rehab this thing. And I am like, humbly, dude, like. All right, hold on. Let me, just, let me jump in here real quick because I, because yeah. you I'm have, uh, you have ADHD like I do. And I like literally talking to myself here. And now I know what it feels like to work for me. <laughs> so. Um, you go to the hospital, you are brought in. That's where we're still in the crash, right? Yeah, we're at the crash. All right, so you're brought in, you're evaluated. What was the diagnosis? What kind of injuries did you have? Um, I had this gigantic hematoma on my right hip, I guess, when I took out the computer. Later, I found out that I have a full supraspinatus tear in my right shoulder okay. and closed head injury. I caught the beat of the shotgun. And I got a weird scar back here. That was the only thing I broke skin. Everything was just, you know, that I got, a, I got a TBI, you know, no. Then, yeah. and the new therapist that I finally got to go to good therapy that I went to today, she took the time to explain it to me. I went to another program and it sucked. Um, but that CogSmart program that comes out of the VA. So I knew it wasn't going to work. Um, and she's like, yeah, man, because you're extended unconsciousness your extended blackouts and your multiple impacts, you have a moderate TBI closer to the high end. So like, I'm okay, not- So you go to the hospital, you go to the hospital, they clear you to be released. Yeah, to go home, I didn't admit me. Okay, you go home, you said a couple of weeks later, now what starts to happen? Every time, every time I was going to therapy and shout out again to North Toronto's command, they had, Third shift cops come pick me up for every one of my appointments. And then first shift cops would take me to the appointments and then bring me home for a year. They did that. That's amazing. Like, yeah. So, and they did a lot more, man. So I'm doing this like therapy and I'm being seen here and my balance is shit. Like I went like from like I was on a SWAT team for like Statesville. Right. So I'm this big tough guy, I like to chase bad guys around the street. I walk up the stairs like a toddler, man. I might have already said that. And like, I can't run the fryer at McDonald's now. Like I, I'm forgetting things. 
I'm feel like I'm falling off the planet in bed. I that's why I mean these are readers right now, but I have prescription glasses. I had 2020 vision before the wreck. So and also with my eyes, I now have that they call it a dirty windshield. So whenever I move my eyeballs, like these little black stains keep moving. My ears haven't stopped ringing in two years, and I've had a migraine for two years that no medications help. My whiplash at the one place they estimated it comes to about forward of my chin because it pulls up on my pec and my shoulders. And so now like I, I have like difficulty like cleaning myself like in a bathroom because I got to stretch out my shoulder. I'm a righty, you know, I never use my left hand for shit. And it's just crazy. So when I, the balance is terrible in a car is terrible. When I try to track vehicles, like while you're just being a passenger, I start to get nauseous. Um, the feeling, sometimes I get like this weird snowy vision. Like if I get really overstimulated and like a loud, like white noise in my ears, like all these bizarre fucking things that there's no real cure for. Like I, with the other program I was in, they, uh, they, I had my doctor get me to, to get a, um, MRI, CAT scan, whatever you do for the brain. Right. And of course the TBI is, is uh, cellular. It's not like, you know, if I had a shearing injury, I'd be in a wheelchair dead. And uh, they were kind of pissed off at me. I'm like, well, you know, in a murder investigation, you don't skip step two and you go to court and you look like an asshole. I was like, I checked the box for you. So there's nothing inside that's bleeding or damaged. So we're going from here. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. And that's it, man. Like, I can't... So, I can't. so okay, so this happens. You're going through therapy. Essentially, uh, you know, did you have to retire from the job? No, did they medically retire? I'm still an active cop in the system, but I'm on workers' comp. Okay, so the 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 goal is to try to get back to work. Still, yes, my goal is. Everybody thinks I'm a maniac for wanting to do that. So I'm having tr- problems now. Now I'm also having problems I never had before. Like all this touchy feely shit. Like now I'm crying all the time, and I'm upset. Mm. Mood swings, and it's like you know, it was worse than. After 9-11, I didn't realize I was in the bottom of a bottle swimming around until like six years later, and I was being an asshole to everybody. So I kind of switched that up, and I handled the any drinking. I drink like once a week, you know what I mean? Nowadays. Let me ask you this. What, what happened to the guy that hit you? So he pled out to involuntary manslaughter for the girl and it's like felony vehicle assault statute inflicting serious injury for me and he got like a three-year suspended sentence wow why so light you know what i mean we all know we you know with politics and what side of the fence you're on it's you know one county is very democratic one county is very Republican, you know what I'm saying? And the judges, you know, emulate that all around the country and w- whatever. So, yeah, it sucks. Let me, let me go into this real quick because uh, obviously I'm picking up on a lot of stuff here. 
Have you sought a therapist that specializes with TBIs? Yes. How's that working for you now? Uh, again, so I reached out to the Wounded Blue, you know, Randy Sutton's organization out of Vegas. So you reach out to them and they give you like a counselor that's like, like an active cop or like a retired cop, similar situations. So he hooked me up with this guy, Troy, outside of Chicago. Similar situation, same kind of mindset about law enforcement, about being proactive and stuff. So we're really related. And he really, you know, when I need to call him, I call him. And then the Wounded Blue found me a cop-centric, in their words, therapist here in Statesville, North Carolina. But, but, but one who specialized with TBIs? No, I don't know. Okay. About yeah. okay, so yeah, let me let me jump in here. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe that you need to focus on trying to find somebody or at least convey it back to them that you got to find somebody who specializes in TBI therapy because I believe there's two different things. And I can tell you why. One of our friends who is you know, associated with us, uh, Rob Swayza, who runs Blue Wise Matters, wife does. He had seen somebody at our conference and he said, you know, I, I spoke with him. He's got a significant TBI and the therapist he's seeing does not specialize in TBIs. If you have a TBI, you've got to see a therapist who specializes in TBIs. It's a whole different kind of therapy. Yeah. So my suggestion is, is if you're trying to work some of this stuff out, you're going to have to try to find somebody, I think, who does specialize in TBIs. Now, I don't know if somebody who's listening to this podcast knows somebody in the North Carolina area that could help Steve out. That'd be great. Um, maybe Steve, uh, you're on Facebook. Maybe people connect with you. Uh, I'm Jimmy McNulty. That's my name. Okay. So, you know, or you could reach out to us and we'll connect you with Steve. You know, somebody, but I think that's where you got to go with this dude. I think the blessing in disguise here today is, uh, one is getting that addressed. So, you know, Absolutely. if you're looking to have recovery, I think you're just going down the wrong path. I would really, really look into that. It's my suggestion to you because do you have a lot of stuff that you have to work out and yeah, you've got to recognize that there are things that are out of your control. And I think you're looking in the wrong places for somebody who can actually help you. So, when we get off of this, I think that's your next move. You're obviously very motivated is to try to find somebody and do some homework, man. Spend a couple of days making the phone calls. You got some time on your hands, but yeah. obviously you're prepping for world war three. I could see it in the background there. You've got the same <laughs> shit I have in my basement, right? Yeah. That's a uh, Agassin farms, right? Or some shit like that. You got all that stuff. Just... I got the same stuff, dude. It's so funny. Um, I'm look. I, I noticed that, but you know, I, I think that your, you know, I think the, what you're trying to do is very admirable. And I think that, you know, you continue to stay in touch with the men and women in the street cop survivors club. But I think that getting to somebody who can really help you uh, work through this for the time being, and maybe finding the appropriate medical needs that you're, that you need might, might help uh, your recovery process. I'm going to ask you this last thing. And uh, you know, whether or not you have advice, I'm just curious, what advice you had to other officers to avoid a situation like yours? And I'm not saying that you were responsible for it. Uh, clearly, it was a fluke. And it's actually one of those things that happens that none of us think is going to happen to us. Yeah. So what's some thoughts and ideas that you can pass along for advice after being through the kind of incident that you were in? Oh, man. I mean, I, I did everything. I did everything by the by, you know, policy and I had all my lights on. I had the directional bar going. Like, like I said, it was it was a fluke thing. You know, I always thought, I never thought this was going to happen. Like, I wanted to be 65, kicking and screaming for an age waiver, you know? Um, yeah. 
And uh, to go on the therapy side, he does EDMR with me, this guy. You know, all the noise and shit, and he asks questions yeah. places. So a lot of this internal strife starts to calms down. And then this kid from a neighboring division gets shot. And I'm right back down the rabbit hole. I should have been there. Should have been me. I should have been able to dump that scumbag that shot my brother. Yeah, this is this is this is the stuff you gotta yeah, you gotta start working on this stuff because this is this yeah, these are all things you can work out. Uh and I'm not somebody who can who can I'm not a medical professional. Uh just talking to enough people, this survivor's guilt, the things that you're saying to yourself, acknowledge it. Um, you know, don't let it get the best of you. You know, make sure that you're you're getting to the right people. I, I would suggest seeing more than one therapist as well. Uh, I don't mean the sense of like you need three times a week. I'm saying try two or three other ones because you it's like anything else in life. You think you got the right the right person, yeah. then you actually meet the right person. And then you thought you had the right person there, then you actually meet the real right person. We're going through that now here. There's things going on at this company, and they're like, hey, da-da-da, da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So we learned we didn't have the right person for the for the future. Let's have two or three of these people that yeah. we can work with going forward. So that's that's the homework from here, Steve. I think it's the lesson learned for a lot of people going through this. Like, don't just settle for the guy that they found you and depend on the wounded blue. By the way, I'm certainly not saying a bad Dr. Trevor uh, Wilkins. The, the you know he's a friend of mine. He does a lot of work with them. I don't know uh, the guy that you mentioned. Um, I don't know him personally. I've heard his name before. Uh, I'm sure. Listen, they, they probably have great advice. Um, they, they seem like a great organization. I've seen them at events. Uh, be proud to support anything that they do. I'd love to help. Uh, but you know, there are some times you got to take some different perspectives from different different sides of the coin. So that's that's my advice, dude. And and I got to tell you, it was fucking great. It's so interesting how I had no idea where you came from, who you were, what you did, and we have so many people in common. So many, we probably have so many mutual friends. You and I. Yeah. Uh, you're from literally here. You're as Jersey as I am. Um, you know, you're you're probably cut from a similar cloth that I am as well. And yeah, I mean, I had difficulty leaving the the agency as well and the profession as well. But also, if you can't go back, there are so many more things to do within the within the uh, the, the brotherhood. So you know, that's something you have to accept, man. I'm sitting here as living proof of look. There's a lot that you can do. So even though if you have to medically retire at some point. Understand I, that there's, please. yeah, like dude, there's there's a lot more opportunity of things to do in this in the field, dude. So your purpose sometimes shifts from being the guy in the patrol car to maybe being a guy who can support people who are going through things like this. So life happens for us, not to us, right? So yeah. just keep that in mind. Like maybe start thinking about all right, if I don't ever get back to doing this, what else am I meant to be doing? And and do take this shitty circumstance and make something great out of it because. Other people need your help. They need a guy like you to show up with a kind of charisma, attitude, and energy, even after having a TBI and a significant injury, to uh, support them. And that's a that's you can find some real comfort there, brother. Don't ever think that nobody needs you because we do. It just might be in a different capacity. Who the fuck am I, right? I'm some yeah. dude who worked fucking two towns down from you, and you know now I recognize that I could do more in a different capacity. And to my detriment, there are people who take shots at me. Oh, this guy only did. Yeah, everybody's got a story about me. They don't know my yeah. story. So I don't let that fucking bother me. I know the work that I got to do. And I want to suggest that you do the work as well, man. Yeah. A lot of work to be done, Steve. I mean, outside of putting a fucking uniform on and getting back and humping a black and white. You know what I'm saying? So 
Yeah, I, I get you miss it, dude. Like people ask me, do you miss it? Like, fuck yeah, dude. I had a great time. I was just like you, but sometimes God has to intervene and put you on a different path. So just try to relax and see what that path is going to be and start opening your mind up. So you got your homework to do and open your mind to other things as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. But I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm locked in my own cell. You know what I'm saying? And then like, besides man, the guys and the job and it, it kills me. But then like a year later on the same stretch of highway, officer Mia Goodwin got killed in similar circumstances. And now at that point I got mad at God. I was like, well, if you wanted a soul, why didn't you take mine? You know, I have to love my wife, my children. She's a young kid, new babies. But and I was crushed by that. Totally crushed. And yeah, then Steve, I mean, survivor's guilt is a, is a real thing. You're having serious situations of it, but it's also a fake thing, right? So in, in a sense, we know it's a very real thing, but the reality of it is it is nothing more than a psychological thing. Um, so there's a reason why you survived. It was because God has a different plan for you. You just got to listen to what that plan is. Um, yeah, like and you, you, order, like, you know. I mean, same thing. I mean, you listen to any of these guys who come back from the military, you know, and, and they have this survivor's guilt. Why me? Why me? And they later find out why it was them. So you know, you got to you got to start you got to start digging into what that is and start seeing it differently. And again, you have a TBI. It's a serious thing. You have to acknowledge what it is and start addressing in that sense and know what your strengths and weaknesses are now, just like me. Right. I mean, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. We don't get to choose how life goes a lot. We just don't because it's life and it's never fucking fair. And it's going to happen to you. It's just it's going to happen to you. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, oh, just, yeah, I get it. Guess what? How many guys did you know on a job that were fucking toxic and they bitched about everything? If they weren't doing anything, they bitched. If they had to lock somebody up, they bitched. Bitch, 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 bitch. I'm not that guy. Like, I bitched. Everybody bitches. I get but it. I get into it. Well, guess to- what, dude? You also had like, a hell of a time, a hell of a career, a lot of fun, great memories. I know people that are ineligible to police who dearly want to do it because of physical and mental disabilities. You get to fucking rip the rip roar and have a good time for, for quite some time, dude. So it was really, you know, that my was really cool. My partner, Tim, did that, said the same exact thing. And and he's the one that like saved my life the night that almost went sideways. Yeah. And. It was great to say, so I got to tell you this, because this is amazing. My cap, Captain Matthews, brought me in and it was like, hey, I found this place, Harbor of Grace in Maryland, one of three um, law enforcement, first responder, sent, you know, focused places for what I'm going through, trauma, whatever. He was like, and I, I agreed to it. I went there for 28 days. I came out of it. I mean, he bought my ticket with the command credit card and you know my sergeant picked me up and then the airport cops stayed with me at the airport from the airport division the whole other guy had a lecture getting wheeled because i can't walk so that was kind of that's embarrassing for me too on how i'm all fragile and frail you, now you'll get there bro you know you'll but get there case where the th- she helped me she identified some things why i'm so like like me for you for anybody you know what i mean like when I had caseloads and it was the perp that was becoming the victim, I'm like, I got you, bro. You know, I'm going to jam you on this case that you did something fucked up, but you're the victim now. Now I'm your advocate. 
and I'm going to hunt that bastard down that did it to you and make him be held accountable. So I changed my mindset. This is one positive thing. I'm still struggling with not with everything we're talking about. Right. From a, from a, from a victim to a survivor. Right. And then I'm, I'm trying to thrive, you know? So if, like I said, in my heart of hearts, I know I'm not going back. You know what I mean? And everybody want, you know, guys want me back and I want to be with them. And like I, half my identity died out there that night on I-85. I'm still a husband, a father and friend. I don't think your identity died. I think it just changed. Just like my identity changed. I, you know? I, yeah, I got to find a new identity, but that Okay. One- so listen, so you got to, first thing you got to do is open your mind to who that person is. And we got to stay at the, at the beginning. Steve Cantara is Steve Cantara. Steve Cantara is a, a wonderful human being, did wonderful things for this world. I'm not dead. I have kids that want to see me. I'm going to have grandkids. All this shit's got to happen, right? Do you have grandkids already? Yep, three. Yeah, so dude, listen, you know what to live for. You know what the importance of it is. For me, it's like when I tell people when they lose their jobs, go on Indeed, or they want to have a career. Just go, go explore. My suggestion for you, and it may be very amateur, is I like the idea of going on YouTube and listening to these you know, some of these stories of survivors and what it means and their perspective and and even some of these short video clips like, dude, watch Jay Redmond's uh, What to Do During Tough Times on TED Talk. That's how I met the guy. You know, now we're friends. And I got to tell you, it moved me. We're all dealing with shit. You're not the only person. And I'm not saying that because I don't want you to, I'm not validating what you're going through. I'm just saying you're not alone. Like, even a guy like me, I go through shit, dude. I went through two of the hardest years of my life in 21 and 22. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. But I kept listening to other people. What am I hearing? I'm validating these feelings. And you know what, dude? It's one foot in front of the other every single day. And you know that you're going to make it. You're going to be just fucking fine. But you got to tell yourself that. You got to tell yourself a new story about who you are and what happened to you. You're telling yourself a fucking old story. So it's time to reinvent and come up with a new story. This is the Steve Cantara story. I did 20 years in law enforcement. I got hit. I got taken out. What am I doing now? And and that's the story that you get to create, right? I mean, it can be now I work with the Street Cop Survivors Club. I'm the guy that does this for them. They need a hand. They can take, They can count on me for this. What am I doing? I'm making sure that the next guy who gets hit a fucking TBI and goes through the shit that I went through knows that it's all up here and it's not actually real. So I'm going to sit with you and be that person for you. Maybe it's the guy who volunteers with uh, that organization out of Arizona and says, hey, I'd like to be on the phones with these guys too. And, and sometimes you get at roadblocks, dude. Sometimes people are going to give you hard nose, but you just yeah. keep going, right? You just keep going. Maybe it's the guy who, uh, bro, like, don't let anybody tell you who you're going to be. Start telling yourself who you're going to be. It's a fucking, honestly, dude, it's a beautiful thing of where we're at right now for you to, to experience this because the beauty in it is now having this perspective change on who you are. And from yeah. this point forward. Yeah, I got to work on that because I can't shift that lens. You know what I mean? Like, I still want my family, my blue family. You know what I mean? I mean you but still have them. The person, but you're my brother. Like, no shit. Yeah. And like, my thing where I say, You don't oh, have to have, listen. You don't have to have a badge on your chest to be part of the blue family, bro. You don't gotta have the badge. You don't have to have a badge on your chest to be part of the blue family. I retired eight years ago, almost. I yeah. I and I and I'm in the blue family. I'm uh, a father in the blue family. And you can be too, dude. You know, are you coming to the conference? 
No, no. When is I? I mean, I can't. I get I forget. It. So make that an objective. The conference will be every year. We'll get you to one, dude. We'll figure it out next time around. Right. But they're always going to be here. Make that a goal of yours. And you're going to come to a place like that where you're going to meet the other guys here in the Street Cop Survivors Club and do work with them. You know, these guys are now uh, they're doing a nice job with the top guys uh, who have kind of like tried to administrate the group a little bit. But they're raising money for families of police officers who were injured in the line of duty Um, and those police officers as well. Uh, They're doing good stuff, dude. There's so much opportunity to do great things for the world. So, yeah, your great thing for the world is not running code fucking one or code three, whatever you guys call it. But maybe it's the back end support where they really needed you. We, I talked about that with my wife and my and my therapist. And, and I was like, you know, like I could just I could see that. Right. I could see that where I'm, you know, a bunch of new guys. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Give me that little search fucking question. You know, can I search you instead of patch you? Blah, blah, blah kind of shit. And then, like, it, it happens. The, the tones go. It's happening, shots fired, one down, blah, blah, blah. And they all leave. And I'm standing there in a parking lot by myself. I got to get past that. Like, I can't get past not being in it. So so hand, hand it over to the other guys. It crushes. You, yeah, and guess what? Be, like, I, I want to be able to, like, I want to I give this passion to the new guys. You know, I just want to be able to guess what you just did today. And he's like, they're cranked up. They're ready to go. You know, two bangs on board and they, but they got the knowledge of constitutional law, their policies and they're fucking, they're ready to, they're physically fit. They're ready to defend themselves. They're also compassionate and they know how to treat people with dignity and respect all the time. And then I watch that and it's like watching my child take a step. You You and me both dude. Right. And guess what? Hi again, dude. Like I, I but Steve, guess what? Guess I what? You you you're here today because of what happened to you, and your message just got delivered to four hundred and fifty thousand cops. So like, this is the point in your life where you start saying, "Okay, this is a clear sign of where the Lord wants me to go." You know, you have to say that it's changed. You have to accept that it's changed. Because it changed for me to change for a lot of people. You got all these guys and girls in the street in the survivors club that are doing the same thing. Their yeah, lives were changed. They're so useless. You know what I mean? I feel like a burden to my wife. I feel like a burden to my family because I'm not, I can't contribute. And then I feel like, you know, some guy, you know, I don't know a guy in California, but then I hear he gets fucked up. And I'm like, ah, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, can't be everywhere, but it's it just bothers me that I'm. I, I can't explain it, man. It's no, I get it, dude. And like, and and here's the oh. cool thing is you're not useless because you're a human being. Life is a blessing. You have a I took everything from me. He took my identity. I'm fighting through it. I'm fighting to be that survivor and not be angry. It's fucking hard. I love all you out there. I love every cop. I don't have to fucking ever meet you. I love the guys where I didn't. I love the guys I didn't that that I didn't like at work. You know what I mean? This this kills me. Yeah, but you can't let it kill I you. I'm helping people, man. Like I got like besides bullshit war stories and rah rah comfortable with violence, dude, dude. Like help. I remember helping this girl, a sexual assault victim, and then seeing her like months later, she just touches my back at it. 
fucking gas station and she looks amazing fresh face beautiful and she she's like i'm back in college and because of you thank like yo like thank you for yeah animal up and believing in me and trying and helping me and it just it, she hugged me and i it, it made it, uh, it was like some like rays of sunshine shooting out of my ass dude you know it was like it's amazing helping people even when people don't want the help bro you know? how much time are you spending in the in the group uh in the facebook group the street cop survivors club a lot i scroll it you know what i mean uh, yeah i think you still gotta, you gotta start engaging so my suggestion to you is when you're done here because dude I, I I created that group because I knew I couldn't help beyond what I could help with. Those guys and girls in that group, they're your family, brother. You got to lean on them. There is a reason why the why the entry fee to that group is as high as it is. We don't allow, I actually threw a few people out recently because they didn't understand. I don't know how they got in, I, you know, again. But those men and women, they're going through the same fucking thing you're going through. So I think you need to get off of here Go on that, make a quick video and say, hey, um, you know, I, dude, some of the best things I heard were the people that are just like you in that group that are going through the same thing you're going through. And you guys need to lean on each other. You're all the fucking same. They care about it like you care about it. You got to go in and fucking say something, dude. Just right after this. I, I Steve, I, I care so much about you. I'm trying to give you this good advice and... and I, you're such a great fucking human being that you just have to get it in your brain and in your mind of what your new purpose is. That's all it is. And it's going to be a beautiful thing when you do. And I promise you in three years, you're going to go, it was that moment, dude, when I heard that advice that I realized that I had such a beautiful gift to give others. And it wasn't, my gift just wasn't law enforcement. Bro, who knew, who fucking knew that I'd be one of the most proud and fulfilled and happy dads on earth. I didn't like kids and I can't get enough of them. Right. So like, yeah. not that I didn't like kids. I just wasn't a kid person. And now that I have all these kids, so dude, there's this beautiful thing that I, I get to be a dad now, you know, and I just, I, I can't explain it enough. And um, well, I couldn't be a, when that started to happen, a lot of my friends are like, yo, like we're going out, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm a dad now. Yeah. Life, yeah. It's just different for me. Yeah, You know, guys are like, hey, uh, you know, one of the nicest things I hear, dude, and, I, and I'm going to say this because this, this pains me. I, I can't go to every police funeral, right? And I think about that a lot. That, lived, that weighs heavy on my heart. And there's times when I tell people, like, I, I won't be able to make it. You know, it's like the partner of the guy who was killed in the line of duty. I won't be able to make it to the funeral. Yeah. And they respond back. I've had this on several occasions say to me, because I feel very guilty about it. Um, and I'm not not making it because I'm drinking martinis in Florida. And I, I try to come to peace with this for myself because I want people to know how much I care. And I don't want to seem like it's fraudulent when I'm not at these police funerals. I try to make them when I can. Um, a few guys have said to me, like, look, dude, this guy or her, this woman, she was a fan of yours. And if there's anything you can do to honor her is to keep doing the work that you're doing. So you don't have to be at this funeral she or he would have rather you train a hundred cops. And I have to sit here and, and, and know that some people are critical about the work that I do. Uh, it's not easy work to do. And I'm certainly not fucking off because I'm not at the funeral, but yeah. you know, man, I, I just know how I can better help. And if the card, if the stars align, I can get to one of these things and I can show face and they see me giving the support in public and people are just like, Hey, you know, 
you don't have to be here. You know, like I have a lot of guilt, right? Yeah. I have a lot of guilt. Like I, I carry a lot of weight on my shoulders. I carry a fucking ton of guilt. I carry dad guilt. Um, I flew out on Sunday, dude. It was the Belmar parade, right? Oh. That, that morning, my wife's like, yo, we're, uh, we're going to go to the Staten Island, uh, St. Patty's Day parade with the kids. Oh, cool. I'm like, fuck. I, I, yeah, no, well, oh, cool. But let's talk about yeah. dad guilt. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, yo, um, I got to catch a flight to Texas. I'm flying out to Dallas. My flight was at one o'clock in the afternoon. And like, I'm like, can you, and like, dude, I'm upset. I'm like, fucking like, you know, I wasn't crying, but I'm like, here's another day yeah. that I get to, that I miss. And I said to her, can you do me a favor? And my, they're going to see my cousins. It's down the street from my aunt's house, their child, um, you know, all these. And I, I said, uh, can you please just take videos for me? Yeah, man. And, 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 and pictures, you know, so, but here's the, here's the thing, dude, here's the trade-off, right? I went down to Texas and I taught a complete classroom full of cops who, because of the work that I'm doing, get to spend next St. Patty's day with their kids. Yeah. They might not die. Yeah. Here's the other part of it, Steve. This is why I play a different role. I then come back and procure revenue to give my kids a better life, even for some of the things that I, you know, that, that we trade off. And we, I, I tell the story often. I had a person come to my house one time and they said in front of me and, and my, my wife, um, why oh, you guys are so lucky. And, you know, when I hear that word, I, um, I just know that people don't mean it the way they mean it. They don't know what we've been through, the sacrifice we've put ourselves through. Absolutely. And I've missed birthday parties. I've missed missing teeth. I've missed, I have four kids, baby's first steps. I've missed, brother, I, I, I've paid some fucking tremendous dues. Oh, yeah. But, you know, and this is, this alludes to what I'm trying to explain to you. You've paid some tremendous dues, but the mission is clear, you know? And I think your mission is becoming more and more clear as you go on. Yeah. You got to let, I, I have to let this stuff go. I don't hold on to the fact that I miss these things in my life because I, I've taken a selfless approach to it. You know, even Kenny Williams said to me one time, he goes, this shit sucks. I go, I know. He goes, it sucks being on the road. I go, I'm Ken, I'm aware. It fucking blows, dude. He's like, I go to these classes. I'm fucking exhausted. And I, I go, I, I've done it four days in a row on many occasions. I didn't see my kids for five, six days. I didn't see my yeah. family. I didn't see my friends. I missed all this stuff. Working side jobs to make ends meet. Bro, bro, like, listen, but, but, but guess what? <clears throat> no, what's, let's talk about that story where that dude took your class and rescued a nine and a 12 year old who were kidnapped and he didn't know it and nobody knew it yet. Um, you know, so, and I said, you know, Kenny, it's hard work. But God pays you back, not only that way, but financially as well. So that's the trade-off, man. You know, you get you make a good extra living doing this with us. I make, uh, you know, it's a little different. I'm the owner of the company. So when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, I'm eating. The, I'm completely shoveling the shit sandwich down my own throat. Nobody gets a piece of it. I got to eat. So when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's fucking horrendous. Yeah. Um, that's the real difference between the responsibility of owning the thing. But what I'm saying to you, dude, is what an opportunity. Yeah. You know, what an opportunity. All this stuff you can work on, dude. The fucking TBI, your balance back, your walking. This stuff will come back. 
right? You got to just tell yourself that. I know it's going to come back. And then maybe taking some Steve time and saying, all right, here's the story now, man. The story is I did it for so long. Why did, uh, why did I get, why did this happen to me? And what is the blessing here? What do you want me to do, God? It's not going to come to you in three minutes, just so we're clear. Oh, yeah. But it might, it might come to you in three weeks. It might come to you in three months. And then when it happens, you're going to go, you know, as fucked up as this sounds, I'm kind of thankful it happened to me because I didn't know I was going to be this person for other people. I'm thankful for one thing about it, that it was me. Can I guess not, what it was? And it was not Tim. It was not Zong. It was not my can other I guess it, Can I guess it what it was? Meeting me. That's what I figured it was. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, I'll add that. That's number two. Okay, but okay. One was that the cops I love and I work with, they didn't get hurt. I took the hit. And I could die. Good for me. You know what I mean? Good for them. And then this this idiot, who knows? If you didn't hit me, if God, oh, and that's another thing, too. Like, they're like, God. Let me jump in, Steve. Hold on. Let's pause there. Because we're, we're doing a little, we're working some stuff out. Yeah. This is a big shift in a life. I'm going to tell you where you got to start with this because I, I got to tell you, this is one of the most profound things I've discovered. You have got to, and I know who you are and you got to dig deep and this takes work to do. You have got to stop referencing this dude who hit you as this idiot, this piece of shit. What you have to do, as fucked up as this sounds, is to forgive him. That is where your shift's going to be. Get I know, listen, I get it. You got to, you got to start for it. Listen, you got to start there. You got to start there, dude. Because if you keep telling yourself this same story, you got to change. You're going to have to change all the chapters and the chapters are. I don't know what that guy was going through that night that made him do that. I have no idea. You see these people who, uh, who show up to court and they forgive the people that killed their families. Right. Yeah, I had around that. I can't you're gonna have to. You're going to have to start thinking about it. And yes. I think you got to start. Th I think you got to go. I think you got to go into YouTube and put in like forgiveness, how to forgive and start <laughs> watching. The no, yeah, dude, it sounds crazy. That's a, that's one of the best resources in the world. And yeah. you can read about that. And it might at some point strike a chord with you and, and uh, more education you get some of that stuff you listen to, it just clicks out of nowhere. Um, I'm constantly trying to forgive some of the stuff I have very, um, it's very difficult for me. I have some of it, some of the people in my life, it's very difficult for me to give them. Um, but you'd be surprised how good I've gotten at it. And I think you can too, because you're a good dude. So you can't hold this anger about the situation. It's over. We can't change it. He can't change it. You don't even need an apology from him for, for you to be able to forgive him. This is like, it's crazy shit, but you and I weren't brought up to be that way. But it doesn't mean as an adult, you can't undertake that position. I'm serious, yeah. dude. Like, I'm telling you, it sounds like fucking crazy hippie shit. But I'm telling you, that's where the healing begins, brother. When you got to just let that go. Yeah, got to stop telling yourself the same story on loop over and over again. It's time to break your loop. And the first thing is making peace with the situation. All right, it happened. It happened. All right. Am I mad at this guy? I was mad at him. But I've been able to forgive him and, and say with conviction, how do I forgive him? You don't need an apology to forgive somebody. You just have to understand people are humans and they, and they make mistakes. And I don't know what his past was that caused him to do that that day. I don't know what the motivation was. Uh, we certainly know he wasn't trying to kill you. 
that wasn't intentional to hit a police officer. I would say that might be a little different at that point. But yeah, he was irresponsible to drink and drive and hit your police car. And you you got the lucky or the unlucky lottery card that day. But at least you could start with, I didn't know, I knew he wasn't trying to kill me, even though he almost killed me. And he killed that poor girl. That's something that he's got to live with for the rest of his life, right? He did what he did. You know, the leaves, the culpability, recklessly, negligently, intentionally, and purposely. Maybe he's seeking, but, but, but again, I don't think he got in that car or started that day or his ambition in his life was to take a life and injure another. So we don't know why. We don't know how he feels about it. You got to stop assuming. And part of that assumption is forgiveness. And, and he might not have forgiveness in his, he might not have sorrow in his heart, but it doesn't mean that you can't, right? You say no, you assume that, but we don't know. No, I talked to the girl's father and at the sentencing, he had, the father said something like, look at me, you know, and the guy had in the article, he said, no emotion, no nothing. You could give a shit, yeah, but getting away with it. I understand, but that may be surface level. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't know. We're only speculating in the article in this. It's like watching, you know, watching the news about something that's reported in a very, very one sided way. So yeah. while you'd like to believe that story, that's the easy story to tell yourself. It's time to start telling yourself a different story. And brother, it's not even about him anymore. It's about you. How are you going to get to this to this place? What you're doing now, Steve, it ain't fucking working, homie. I hate to fucking be the guy to report this to you. I know. So, it's not working. So stop saying I know and start doing. You get this is it, man. You got uh, a guy who got on a podcast with you who has complete compassion for you, is giving you exactly what the fuck is happening. I know that you have a TBI, but I know you're 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 clear enough now to understand some of this shit. Mm-hmm. And it's work, dude. It takes time. It's not gonna be overnight, but the journeys of, of a thousand miles begins with a single footstep. And I remember saying that to myself eight years ago. Because it was hard. Oh, it was hard. I had a lot of anger. I was pissed. Pissed at my administrator. Pissed at everybody. And now it's easy. But you got to work on it. You have to work on it. If you don't work on it and you keep repeating the loop over and over again, it's going to get you. For for nobody else, you find out your why. It's for yourself, for your family. And because you don't want to fail the law enforcement community. The only way you fail the law enforcement community is to not change. You'll fail us. You can't. Failure is not an option. You're a fucking warrior. This is what you were made for. You are the guy. You were the guy who was supposed to happen to. And shit, you showed up at these academies. You were the guy who liked the fucking pain. So be the guy who liked the pain now. Show these other people that when they go through something like this, it's not going to take you down. I am living proof that it's not going to fucking take you down. You have options. I'm not you. I'm not going to sit next to you every day and fucking tell you what you need to tell yourself. I'm telling you this one time, and that's going to be it for you and I. I'll always be here for you. I'll always be your friend. I'll always invite you to the Street Cop Survivor, everything, and to the conferences and all that shit. Anything we could do for you, we'll do. But now it's about you. And to know what resources you have and the story you're going to tell yourself. They need you. They need you. They need you. Stop waiting to think that they don't, or you don't need you, or nobody needs you. They need you. You're a capable motherfucker. You got people... You got a guy on his deathbed right now with three days left in terminal cancer who would take your fucking spot yeah. right now. Yeah, you don't see that. You know, you're, you ble- you're fucking blessed. You're a lucky motherfucker. And you got to start seeing it that way and say, Lord, why did you choose me to go through this and start? To- I had a guy on JP Lane, you're going to hear it come up. 
He was blown to smithereens, lost both of his legs, double above the knee amputee. Um, and you got to wait to hear that episode. You got to hear what, how he sees it. You got to hear how he sees it. And then you start saying to yourself, all right, Steve, this guy got fucking blown. He was in a coma for fucking forever. Yeah. Um, he's been through hell, attempted suicide 13 or 16 times. Wow. He's still here showing up with a smile on his face. And when I met him at Shot Show in Vegas, you know what he I said? Hey, man, whatever happened to you, I just want to say thank you because I got to imagine that's some kind of military shit. He goes, you don't need to thank me. I do it all over again because I believed in why I was doing it. Just like you fucking believed in why you were doing it. Just okay. like you were out there doing that. So he has to concede to the fact and accept the terms that this is what his life is now. And he's making the best of it. And he's doing amazing shit. And you can too. You can too, but you have to fucking do it yourself. You're going to have to. You could lean on your brothers and sisters. You know, you're right in that group. You got those people there. You can ask some questions. But dude, nobody's sending a rescue boat. So my suggestion to you is start swimming. And yeah. that swim begins. Because before you know it, dude, that one foot in front of the other, the one arm in front of the other, you're going to see an island. You get on the island, and I tell this story all the time. I'm telling you, you're going to be so thankful the new story you tell yourself. But you got to start with forgiveness, peace with the past. And if you're, you know, I, I get, I'm not your therapist, but I'm telling you, you gotta start with forgiving the situation. You're too hung up on it. You gotta let it go. And I know you're saying, how could you let it go? Da, da, da. You don't have a choice because it's fucking killing you. It is fucking killing you. So you've got to today say to yourself, when we get done with this thing, breathe and go, I'm not mad at him anymore. I forgive him. I know he didn't come out to kill me that night. I didn't know he, he had intent on changing my life. He made some poor decisions. I've made some poor decisions myself. I never have to hear it from his mouth, but I'm going to forgive him because that's the kind of person I am because I'm a f faithful. I believe in God and, and that's how I was raised and I am spiritual and I'm thankful enough that this Christmas I will be there when I shouldn't have been there. And I get to see my grandkids and my family and, and, and share laughter and enjoy food. And um, the next time this happens to somebody, I'm going to have my eyes peeled. And what Steve Cantara is going to do is reach out to that guy as fast as possible. Go, I'm Steve Cantara. I went through something just like you did. I know what you're going to go through. And I'm going yeah. to be right here next to you. That's, that's the blessing, dude. It sounds like your calling is clear. So stop telling yourself, what does the next seven, eight chapters of your life look like? Because you got a lot of them. You're a young guy. You got 30, 40 years left on this fucking planet. Easy. What is Steve's story going to be? And only one person gets to write it. And that's you. And we don't need an abrupt ending. Because, brother, everybody wants you. Everybody needs you. They may not tell you every single day. It's you, your own, your, your own worst enemy. So become your best friend now. I don't know what else to tell you, Steve. You know, yeah. I, I just. Hey, you're saying everything I know. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I got to get past it. I got to do something. One step at a time. Every time that wave of nausea hits me doing some mundane shit, you know what I mean? It affected my, it affected my, 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 my intimate life with my wife. Okay. So, Check this I mean? out. Me, like, I'm like, God damn it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. Okay. But dude, you've got to reset the loop. Your loop's no good. It starts with, I, I forgive him. This is who I am. This is my life. Okay. It affected my intimacy, but I still get to share this wonderful 
moment with her. We still get to go out to dinner and, and, and I, can, I get to tell her, I'm sorry. At times I can't be this person. I want you to know that I love you tremendously. Oh yeah. And, She's rock solid, dude. Okay, like, great. But you like, remind her. Then my brain goes and then I'm like, I'm falling off the planet now. Like I can't describe that weird vertigo that I get. Like, where I literally feel like I'm I'm falling. I, I get it. So you forward and so you can't change what has been done. You can only change what goes on from this point forward. So you've got to start working these things out and you got to start with forgiveness, man. You got to start with it. You got to let go. You gotta stop. Because you're gonna fucking kill yourself. Then I'm and then I then I'm like, because I'm stuck in this, like I'm still spinning my wheels at the starting line. You know, I can put a lot of it on workers' comp because I still need to. This, this should have been done last year. Like this shouldn't have taken two years. You know, when they're doing hemming and hawing and all this other bullshit. It's like, fuck with the guy that's faking it. I'm not. Like, just give me, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was it's a nightmare. That's a whole nother discussion about workers' comp. Once I retire, when I when I once I once it's final, you know what I'm saying? Like once it's done, it's kind of like I feel like I'm like I'm in an AIA trial board right now and I'm waiting for their decision. Like I know I'm good. I just want to hear it, take my little rip. And go back to work. Well, I want to finish. I want to close the book on this. If this is it, I got to close the book and then go forward. Right. I would book. suggest before you close the book, before you close the book, open the new one. Okay. That's it, dude. Because chapter seven is the is, is I have left law enforcement as a police officer. I remain in law enforcement as a brother. You have okay. the blue line flag behind you, dude. Yep. Um. I have it on every fucking thing that I do. You look around, it's all blue line, everything here. Because I believe in it like you believe in it. Except everybody in this blue line world can't be humping a black and white. They need us behind the scenes to help them as they hump black and whites. We had to know what it was in order to help. So you've got to start, and, and brother, you'll figure it out. I promise you, you will figure it the fuck out. You need to start telling yourself a new story what do the next seven chapters of my life look like? What are you going to do that's great for this world? Because God obviously has a plan for you. So what the fuck is it? Yeah. And it's not going to be continuing to fucking tell yourself the same story. The fucking warrior who went to two academies, the first one enjoyed it, loved it, liked the punishment, liked to go out, run and gun. That was that you could handle, but this you can't. It's bullshit. Stop telling you. You can handle this. This ain't fucking shit, dude. And you know it's not. You fucking, compared to the things you've done, this ain't fucking dick. Right. So fucking stop telling yourself that it's fucking, that it's taking your life. It's not. You, this, is, this is a piece of fucking cake compared to what you've already been through in life. Got a lot to offer, brother. It's a gift. It's a gift. You're a fucking special dude. You got a lot of passion. Take that fucking energy and do something great with it. And yeah, stop I was worried too. Like, like I said, remember my metric for the training wasn't advancement rank or some other or go to the academy and you know those i can do those i can't teach well i'm at the can't part of it now but i never like took like moi you know and they call it a general instructor down here and uh so i don't you know i don't know if i'm going to get in front of a bunch of people and it's going to be like crickets and they're throwing tomatoes at me or some shit or like my my my, my speaking style is like too conversational like I, you know it's like like you're planning like my brain is like that ADHD, it's planned. And like you just driving. do, bro. You just do. You stop overthinking like, things. But do this. Well, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to hold somebody's attention, get my point across without being like an asshole. 
You know what I mean? Like only I, one way to find out. And guess what? And we get yeah, better at it. Not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is just Nawaza and Judo. I would like, you know, like, all right, dude, blah, this is the technique. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, oh my God, you're killing me. Right. Like it's not rocket science. Yeah, dude. Like, but check it out. Like, guess what? 10 years ago, when I opened my over 10 years ago, now that I opened my mouth for the first time, mm -hmm. um, I was a wreck. <laughs> and um, compared to what it is now, I stuck on ice. So even if you stink on ice to begin with, you just get better. Just keep showing up okay. and keep doing it. Podcast. I was watching a episode earlier. I never watched this podcast uh, with my friend Rob uh, because I'd gotten so much feedback about that podcast episode. I wanted to watch it. And I'm like, oh, there's some things that I have to fix on the podcast myself. This will get better as I go along, but I'm not letting it dictate whether or not I'm going to fucking do it. So just do it. Guess what? I'm not going to be good at everything. I just not. I'm just not. And the beautiful part about today's day and age is you get to explore so many things. There's so many different perspectives. You can find people that you might never meet, but they're your friends. In closing, you know, I think you got a lot. And I think the most beautiful thing about what you went through today, watch this. You're going to love this one. You had enough humility to show up here, express your emotions, express what you're feeling. And there's probably uh, quite a few people out there that are feeling the same thing you are. Yeah. And we were able to work through it. So we're going to have you back on. And I want to know, status update in a few months, what you've decided to change about your life. And you better not disappoint these motherfuckers. Because now they're, now they're looking at you. Now they're looking at you. So now you have said publicly, I understand what I have to do. Your blue family is watching. Don't let them down because two, two things come out of this. One, you show them how you work through it and what you did, and you're going to report back to us what you did. Or two, you didn't, and it removes the hope for all these other people that are going through what you're going through. So this, now it's on your shoulders, brother. You showed up here and gave these folks a gift today, and that was hope. Yeah. You gave a gift. If nothing else comes out of this incident, it was you showing up on this podcast, being vulnerable, having humility, expressing emotion as a man, as a police officer, and showing the world that it's okay to be going through shit like this. And Steve Cantara is going to show people how, how you come back from it. That's the new story. And, we'll, and, and I'll tell you what, as a promise to you, we'll have you back on for periodic status updates. Maybe even right. three, every three months we have you on, but you better be improving, motherfucker. I'm from Jersey. I'm your, I'm your boy. I'm your brother. You better well, be you have to rate it out there, bro. I'm cock lock ready to rock. And another thing, when I give you my word, it's my fucking word, and I'm going to do it. Okay. Three months, we will have you back on. We want to hear your status report. So get cracking, motherfucker. Absolutely. I love you, bro. I love you too, man. You got this. Do it All up. Right. Make Thank us fucking you. proud. You got 450,000 motherfuckers listening to you. You better fucking show up. All right. I'll I will. See you. I'll see you, dude. Later, brother. Be good. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.